Good morning, Faith Community Church. We, uh, I'm glad that we spent that time just now talking about some of the, the hard things that are happening, not just in our world, but even here in our country. When we see the world, we see heartache. And when we see the world, we see pain. When we see the world, we see death, destruction, in a lot of ways, we see hopelessness. Yet, we as a church, we as a body of believers in Jesus Christ, have hope. We have hope even though there's death. We have hope even though there's heartache. We have hope even though there's pain. We have hope because the greatest sacrifice has been done by Jesus Christ. He has taken death. He's taken sin, he's taken pain, he's taken the hurt, he's taken it all on the cross, and he paid the price so that we can have eternal life with him. And so we look at the world and we see all of this, and, and we as the church have this hope, and we know that our responsibility is to share this hope. Last week, we got to start our series on cultural engagement, and I want to recap a little bit uh, because I know that there's probably some people in the crowd who weren't here for that, and so when I talk about cultural engagement, what I'm saying is the culture is defined by different people, social groups, divine, you know, they're all separated by different values, different beliefs, different religions, different backgrounds. These all divide culture, and the church's task, their mission, is to engage with these different people groups. Engage with these different cultures, engage with these different values and belief systems for the purpose of sharing the hope that is within us. The world needs to see Jesus. That's why we are able to have comfort in the pain and the death and the heartache. The world needs that, and they're longing for that. When we went through our... our foundation building last week on this series, we mentioned a few things. We walked through the story of scripture. We saw how, how the Lord from the beginning all the way to the end has a mission. His mission is to show the world his glory, is to, to share his message that all of the nations would end up praising him. And we know that we have a future hope in that, that in the future Christ will come he will put his enemies under his feet. He will conquer them. He will take back what's his. The world will be made new. The new creation, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth will all be made new. And we, all the nations, all the people who are left will be glorifying God and praising him. But in this story, we're here in the church age. We have a part to play. The world isn't praising God yet. And so there's a mission. The mission is that we share Jesus, making disciples of all nations. And the way that we do this is by viewing people the way that Christ viewed people. We don't wage war against people. We wage war for people. And, and our battle weapons are love, humility, compassion, kindness, gentleness. These are the th ways that, that Christ reached out to us, and these are the ways that we're called as the church to reach out to others. And so last week, we talked a lot about how we are to live to effectively fulfill this mission, 
But doing good things for people isn't enough for them to know the hope that is in us. Being kind and gentle and loving and humble, those are all wonderful things that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds, but people cannot be saved unless they hear the gospel. In Romans 10, we're told faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so we live this way to back up the message that we have, but we need to tell the message. We need to share Jesus to the world. And they're longing for it. They're longing for the hope that we have. And so today, we're going to be talking about the things that we need to know to be able to engage with the culture correctly. The things that we as a church body, we as followers of Jesus need to know so that we can fulfill this mission, this awesome mission that the Lord has for us. Before we do, I'm going to pray. Lord, I want to start by thanking you. You saved a sinner like me, and this room is full of sinners who are saved by your son's sacrifice on the cross. But Lord, you not only loved us, you loved all of your creation enough to pay the full price for all sin for all mankind. And your desire is for all to know you. And we know that not all come to know you. We know that, that there are still those who are lost and those who will not come to, to know you, those who will deny you. Yet, Lord, you have given us the task of sharing this hope, of sharing the message of salvation to the world. In our time now that we spend in your word, here as a church, I just pray that you open up our hearts to see people the way that you see people. Lord, give us understanding of how we can fulfill this mission that you've given us. And Lord, most importantly, build our trust in you. Thank you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I'm going to be in one main text throughout this sermon today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 17. We see, uh, this is Luke who wrote Acts. He's telling the story of Paul's missionary journey where he went to. And in Acts 17, he goes to a few places. And it's cool to look at the life of Paul because he is fulfilling the mission that we talked about last week. When we talked about Acts 1.8 and Jesus tells his disciples, Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, and Samaria, and then even to the remotest parts of the earth, Paul is fulfilling what Jesus was saying. I have this little laser pointer. I hope this works properly. Do you guys see that little green laser pointer? Is that good? No? I'm sorry. Oh, yes? Okay, wonderful. <laughs> so down here, you see bottom right, that's Jerusalem, and that's all Judea right there. Now, when Jesus had given his disciples the instruction to be his witnesses in this area. Again, that was their comfort zone. That's the people that they knew. It's the people that they grew up with. It's the, the people who already have an understanding of God. They just need to hear about the Messiah, Jesus. And so he says, be my witnesses here. Then he says, go to Samaria, which we already know Samaritans are like the enemies of the Jews. And so this is them stepping out of their comfort zones, stepping past the cultural barriers to reach another people group. But that's right, like about here, right above that. 
Then he says, go to the remotest parts of the earth. Paul, after he got saved, he was here. Jerusalem and Judea are way down here. Samaria is right here. Paul's all the way over here. Paul goes all the way over here, and then Paul goes all the way over here and here and here. Look at all the distance that Paul covered. He did not take lightly the command that Jesus gave to go to the remotest parts of the earth. He didn't just reach out to Samaria. He went further. You're talking many different cultural backgrounds, many different languages, many different boundaries that he went through to share the message of Jesus. And so here in Acts 10, I mean Acts 17, sorry, (laughs) Acts 17, Paul is here. He reaches Thessalonica, it's on the top left here. He ends up in Berea, and then he ends up in Athens. This is far from home base. This is far from Jerusalem. And so Paul ends up here, and I'm going to share two stories from Acts 17. The first one is Paul's trip to Thessalonica. And the second one is his trip to Athens. I'm skipping his trip to Berea because it's very similar to his trip to Thessalonica. And so, yeah, um, be okay. I'm, I'm skipping it. I'm sorry if you wanted to hear that story. But we're sharing these two stories, these two trips that Paul had for the purpose of seeing how Paul interacted with these two very different people groups. Paul is fulfilling the mission, but he has two different ways of going about it. And so we're going to start in Acts 17, verse 1, and we're going to share his trip to Thessalonica. So Luke says here, now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. Now, this was normal. Normally, when Paul went to an area, the first thing he did was go to the synagogue. Why? Because the gospel's for the Jew first and then the Greek. He went there because he realized this is an easier crowd to share Jesus with. They already have the Old Testament. They already know Yahweh. I can start here and then work outward from there. And so he's in Thessalonica, which is not a Jewish area. This is a a Gentile area. But he goes to the synagogue with the Jews. And in verse 2, he was there for three Sabbaths. For three Sabbaths. That's like three long weeks. At least we know that he's there. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So Paul, in his trip to Thessalonica, he goes to the Jews, and he just preaches the gospel. He uses The scriptures, we're talking the Old Testament scriptures because that's what the Jews had. The New Testament wasn't compiled yet. And so he's walking through the Torah. He's walking through the first five books. He's walking through the prophets. And he's showing the Jews through the word that Jesus is the Messiah. And that it was necessary for Jesus to die and be risen from the grave. He's sharing the gospel. He's reaching these people where they're at, though. Because these Jews already have an understanding of who God is. All he has to do is convince them that the scriptures is telling of Jesus. And so he does this. And in verse 4, the response, this is what he gets. Some of them were persuaded. Some of the Jews were persuaded. They followed his logic. And they realized, what you're saying is accurate. Jesus must have been the Messiah. And so some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with 
a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. So it wasn't just Jews. In fact, it only says some of the Jews came to know Jesus through that trip. A large number of the Greeks and the women came to know Jesus through that trip. Now, these Greeks that they're talking about here, they call them God-fearing Greeks. What this means that they were these Greeks who ha- had some kind of understanding of God. They had some kind of understanding, maybe from the Jewish synagogue, maybe they attended, maybe they, they spent time studying the scriptures of the Jews in hopes that they could know that God, but they were God-fearing Greeks. They already had a base understanding. And so when Paul reasons with the scriptures, they're all open to that reasoning. They're open to those explanations. And the response is great. What we get from this story are a few things. First, we, I, I mentioned in the beginning that today we're going to talk about the things that we need to know as the church to be able to engage in the mission correctly. The first thing we need to know is we need to know what we know. Now, I know this, this seems redundant, right? It sounds weird. But we need to know what we know. We as a church identify as followers of Jesus. We identify as Bible-believing people, right? That's how we identify. That's how the world sees us. When I say I go to Faith Community Church, people think, yeah, he's a Christian. He believes in the Bible. He believes in Jesus because that's how we identify. This is what we claim we know. We really need to know it, though. It's what we claim to know. It's what we try to live out our lives for. But we need to understand the scriptures. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, All scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good uh, good work. And so we know that all scripture is not written by man. We trust that this is written by God. It is inspired by him. It is his word. And so we trust it. We believe it. But it has a purpose. It is for training in righteousness. If we're to live the way that we talked about last week in love, humility, gentleness, kindness, we need to be in the word. If we're to share truth with others, we need to be preaching the word. If we want to know how to, how to give the gospel in clarity, Well, we read about the gospel here. You look at the life of Jesus here. You hear about his death and resurrection here in the word. This is how we become adequately equipped for the good work. Paul was equipped. That's why he was able to reason with the scriptures in Thessalonica. He had a background as a Pharisee, and so he was already trained in the, the Jewish ways and the Jewish traditions. He was already trained in the Old Testament. He understood the Torah. He understood the prophets. That all was already common knowledge for him, and so he was already equipped, trained. He went through his work to get there, but even before he went out to ministry after he got saved, he spent intentional time with Jesus, where Jesus was directly teaching Paul and preparing him for the work. So when Paul goes to these cities, he's prepared to explain the word, to preach the word, and to teach it to others. We also need to be that way. 
There's a quote from one of the professors at, at Dallas Theological Seminary. His name is Dr. Daryl Bach. When he's looking at the way that America views the Bible, a lot of you may relate to this, but, but our culture's changed quite a bit. When it, we were about 50 years ago, the culture valued the Word of God, the American culture. Even if they didn't know it, they treated God's Word with high regard. If you made a statement that came from Scripture, most likely someone would be like, oh yeah, that, that's cool, that makes sense, you know, I, I should probably follow that. Because there was some kind of high respect, there was an understanding that the Word of God meant something. Our culture's very different now. Nowadays, people don't trust the Word of God blindly. If you claim something is from the Bible, they're going to challenge it. And so, Dr. Daryl Bach has this quote, he says, we used to say it's true because it's in the Bible. Now we need to say it's in the Bible because it's true. And so, what that means for us, as people who believe the Bible, is when we share with the people in our culture right now, we have to be ready to make a defense. We're not just saying random church things like, yeah, you have to take communion, yeah, you have to get baptized, yeah, you need to do this. Oh, don't, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. We're not just saying these things. We believe it because it's in the word of God, and the culture needs to believe this to be true, and so we need to prove it. And that's why in 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness, gentleness and reverence. Always be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. What I'm not trying to say here is that there's a certain point where you've made it in your knowledge, or that you need to go to Bible college. That's not what I'm saying. Although Bible college is great, I highly recommend it. If you're thinking about it, come talk to me after. <laughs> but you don't need that to be ready. If you believe the gospel of Jesus and you know that Christ died for your sins and he rose from the, the grave and you confidently believe that, you are prepared to share. Now, what this also means for us to be ready to make a defense is that we are ever growing in our knowledge of the word. I'm uh, very blessed to be able to study the word at the level that I do, to be able to go to a graduate school and study the word. There are people who don't go to seminary who are much wiser in the word than me. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. <laughs> it's true, though. That's right. <laughs> That's so funny. But it's true. I... If I felt like, man, I went to Bible college, I have enough knowledge, I'm good, I'm missing the point. The point is we need to be ever growing in our study, in our knowledge, and our understanding of the word. When people on the outside, I mentioned earlier, the world needs hope. We have that hope. But they have questions. They're not just going to trust the Bible blindly. They're going to ask questions. And you know what? The culture may be very different now, but they ask some good questions. And they ask some challenging questions. I know, I work in youth ministry. 
challenging good questions about the Bible. And you know what? I can't answer every question. Sometimes my response to people is, I don't know the answer, but I'll come back to you. I'm going to look into that. But I am always confident in preaching that the word of God is inspired, it is infallible, it is true. I'm confident in preaching that Christ died for my sins and that he rose from the grave. That we can preach confidently. We need to be ever growing in our knowledge of the word. We need to know what we know so that we can accomplish the mission. Later on in Acts 17, Paul has a very different trip. Before he went to Thessalonica and he reasoned with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and this time he's, he's in a very different area. He goes to Athens and in verse 16, we're told that while Paul was there, he was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens. It says his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now, it's a little different. Paul before went straight to the synagogue. This time, Paul's walking around the city. He's observing what they believe. He's observing all of these idols that they have. It says that his spirit is provoked within him. What this means is that Paul, as he's seeing all of the idols in the city, his heart is broken. His heart is broken for multiple reasons. One, because all of these idols are blaspheming God. He's boiling up inside. He is ready to make a defense because God, who deserves all the glory and honor, is, is being diminished when all these idols are getting the praise that he deserves. He's boiling up inside, but he's also heartbroken because the people who are worshiping these idols are lost. They are lost, and they don't know the one true God. And so he enters into the city, observes the city's idols, and in verse 17, then he goes to the synagogues, and he's reasoning again with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and then he goes into the marketplace, the everyday area where all the people are gathered, all different kinds of people from different areas are gathered in the marketplace. He goes there, and every day... He is reasoning with different people. I don't know how long he was there, but for as long as he was, every day he went to where the people were. And he was reasoning with them the scriptures, explaining, teaching the word of God. Then comes another group of people in verse 18. It says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Now, this is a very different group than, than what he's been handling. He's been handling these God-fearing Greeks who are very respectful, probably understanding of the word that he's preaching, the Jews who, although they hate his message of Jesus and he's been persecuted for this, at least they have an understanding of God. They know who Yahweh is. They know who the creator is. Now he's dealing with these philosophers. The Epicurean philosophers were these people who were very focused on pleasure and happiness. Their philosophy was that the chief end purpose of life is to, to obtain pleasure and happiness, and if God is real, he's not active in human manners. Forget about fear of death. Forget about stress and worry. Just enjoy your life however way you want. It's pretty similar to what we see in our culture now. That was the Epicurean 
philosophers talking to Paul, and, and the Stoic philosophers were a little different. They had a very pantheistic background. This means that they thought God was like one with nature and that the world reveals God. It's all these weird beliefs that don't really have any background, but, but they're based on these feelings. And both of those things we do see in our culture today. We see it in movies. We see it portrayed in media. I mean, if we're being honest, the, the new Avatar movie just got announced. You know, the blue people Avatar um, in case you don't know, that's awkward. Um, it was a popular movie, so you should know about it. <laughs> so Avatar, there's a second one coming out, and this is one of the most pantheistic movies I've ever seen. It's all about how, how we're supposed to be one with nature, and nature has this all-inspiring power, and, and God is everywhere in everyone, and it's weird. It is. But this is what a lot of people in the culture hold to. And so Paul's dealing with these people now. They're not the normal Jews and, and God-fearing Greeks. He's dealing with these philosophers. And they're not very kind to him. In verse 18, they're conversing with him, and some were saying, would, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Idle babbler? What they're implying here is that he's kind of aimless. He's just babbling on. His ideas don't have any base. He's just saying weird things coming from them. And they're saying he's the weird one. And, and others are saying about Paul, he's a proclaimer of strange deities. There's a city full of idols, and they're saying he's a proclaimer of strange deities. Think about the situation Paul's in. If I were Paul, I'd be struggling. I'd be, I'd be angry. I'd be upset. But that's not how Paul is. Paul functions differently. He's holding on to the things we mentioned last week, that love, humility, gentleness. And so he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And in verse 19, they took him and they brought him to uh, Areopagus, which is this hill in which the council of Athens, these different members of Athens, this council would come together and they would hear out different beliefs and ideas and they would determine together if it was good or not. And so he's brought to this group of people, to this council on this hill, and they say to him, may we know what the new teaching is, which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. They loved to have their ears tickled. They loved to hear new ideas. Paul took this opportunity. And he preached very differently than what we've seen in these past visits. Before, Paul reasoned with the scriptures. Here, Paul stands up, and he doesn't use the word of God per se. He doesn't quote scripture. He doesn't walk through scripture, but he does preach the word. This is the message that he says in verse 22. He starts off, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Think about that. Think about if you were in Paul's shoes. I just mentioned I would be upset. I'd be ready to swing. I'd be ready to, to put the hammer down. Look, I know the word of God, and you sinners, you don't know God, and because of that, you are blaspheming him. You know, I'd be very tempted to aggressively and angrily, not with gentleness, preach truth. Paul does not do that. Paul instead compliments them. 
He observed them patiently, their idols, their worship, what they come, their background is. And he says, I observe that you're a very religious people in all respects. He compliments them. He, he reaches them where they're at and says, this is good. You're very religious. However, it's to lead to the truth that he wants to preach. In verse 23, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Paul takes this altar that he found while observing their idols to an unknown God. He says, look, you don't know what that is. You're living in ignorance. I'm going to share with you who that God is. Verse 24, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He continues on. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times, the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him or find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. Now he's quoting their poets. He's engaged in their culture. He quotes their poets. Even your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. God's not like that. Instead, he says in verse 30, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead amen. amen's right what a beautiful message what a beautiful message i i, I mentioned that we need to know what we know, but church, we also need to know what the people we reach out to know. We need to understand what they know, what they believe, so that we can share with them the message of hope. Paul did this. Paul studied his audience. Paul spent the time observing the city. He knew their idols. He knew their places of gathering. He was in the marketplace watching them, talking with them, seeing what they value, seeing how they live, seeing what they know and they don't know. He even knew their poets. I wonder if he did this while he was in the marketplace. Like he's, he's walking around and he's like, you know what, let me go see what they're interested in. Let me see their media. Let me see what draws them in. This is like if we understood the, the music and the movies in our culture. The media that we see in our culture gives a cry for what they believe and what they want. Paul noticed those things. He studied those things for a purpose of building a bridge from where they were to the gospel. 
He understood their ignorance. He understood that they didn't know better. Now, we know Paul's the same one who preaches in Romans 1. He's preaching to believers that there is no one without an excuse. We can't just say, well, people are are ignorant. They don't know better. They still deny God. That's what he preaches in Romans 1. Yet when he's in person with these people, he has a burden for them. He has a heart for them. And he understands that they don't know the true God. I'm here to preach the true God. He understood their ignorance. He understood that they didn't know better. And you know what? It makes sense why they live the way they do. Church, when we look at the culture around us, we see this hopelessness. We see, you know, when I look at at media, when I look at the music in our culture, I, I see disgusting things. I see an addiction to drugs, sex, perversion, We see these awful things in in, in the culture, but you know what those tell us? That they're a culture crying out for something more. They're a culture that needs hope. They're a people that are looking for something greater, and we have the message of who is greater. Paul understood their ignorance. He did not become consumed with the culture. He did not enter in and and love it so much that he became one with the culture. No, 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 no. He observed it so that he could build that bridge. He could build that bridge. In the same way, I'm I'm in a class right now uh, called Christian Life and Witness, and and my professor, he just last week, uh, a lot of you might not know this band, but he shared a a music video from a band that I remembered from middle school. It was a popular one when I was in middle school. It was one of my favorite bands when I was in middle school. It was Linkin Park. I don't know if any of you know Linkin Park. They were a rock band, and they were, they were great. When I was in middle school, I loved Linkin Park. Well, my professor at Dallas Theological Seminary shared a music video from Linkin Park. I'm sharing with you now. Linkin Park is a secular band. They don't know Jesus, okay? I'm not saying look up Linkin Park. But my professor shared a video they had from this song called What I've Done. And, and in this video, you see pain. You see destruction in the world. You see this cry in agony uh, the, the singer is in agony of the things he's done. He's, he's so obsessed with the, the wrongs he's committed and the ways that he's hurt others, the way that he's hurt the world, the way he's hurt himself, and he's trying to repent. But in the song, he says, I forgive myself. He wants the repentance. He wants to be forgiven, but he doesn't know the God that forgives. And When my professor played this song, all I could think is, man, in middle school, middle school Greg would have ate that up. From middle school Greg who didn't know Jesus, I didn't accept Christ until I was 15. From middle school Greg who didn't know a thing about Christianity, didn't know a thing about salvation, somebody sharing with me a Linkin Park song that I loved and building that bridge from there to the gospel, that would have just, that would have just blew me away would have knocked my socks off. And I would have much more listened to the message. Luckily, the, the Lord did save me. He didn't have to use a Lincoln Park song to do that. But what a beautiful example of ways that we can enter into the culture and build bridges. And build bridges. I'm going to share another story. Uh, what's beautiful about this, by the way, I mentioned that Paul doesn't quote scripture here. He doesn't use scripture, per se. He shares the story. He shares the story of Scripture. God created everything. 
The Jews and the the God-fearing Greeks already had a foundation. They knew who God was, and so he reasons with the scriptures with them. But this people, they didn't know anything. They didn't know anything about God. So so Paul can't just start with, hey, you got to believe in Jesus. What do you mean, Jesus? Who's Jesus? So what he does is he shares a story. He shares the story of scripture. God created everything. God is the creator of the universe. He is the one true God. He is to be worshipped. And he wants all of mankind to know him. He created mankind. They were his children. But mankind strayed. And God is calling you to repent before the future judgment comes. And we know this to be true because of the resurrection of Christ. That's the full story that Paul shares. He doesn't quote scripture. He shares this story. In the same way, when I was at Word of Life camp... Uh, when I was a Word of Life student at the Bible Institute, we worked in the camp ministry in the summertime. And my first summer, I was a counselor, and my co-counselor, his name was Emmett. Beautiful man of God. Beautiful man of God. He was one of my close brothers, close friends, awesome dude, Emmett's sick. So, uh, sick is good, by the way. Um, <laughs> cultural engagement, am I right? <laughs> so, Emmett is awesome, all right? And him and I were counseling together, and our first week, we got an interesting group of kids. They were a group of kids from the inner city. There was this outreach ministry that, that paid for this group of inner city kids to go to camp. These inner city kids who were dealing with many struggles I can't relate to. They're dealing with drug addictions. They're dealing with, at the age of 16, one of the, the kids already had a kid. It's a kid who has a kid. He's a 16-year-old. And he had a child. The group we had was very different than what we were used to. The culture was very different. Yet Emmett and I knew we have to love these kids. We have to love these teens. We have to reach them where they're at. We got to get to know them. We got to listen to them. We have to understand who they are so that we can build a bridge to the gospel. And my friend Emmett did something beautiful that week. The Lord used him in an awesome way. That teen that I mentioned, that 16-year-old who had a kid back home, one day we're in one of the sessions. And you know, the, the preacher's preaching and the 16-year-old just gets up and he runs out. This is weird. It's like a group of 400-something teens, and he just got up and left. And us counselors, it's like, oh, oh what, what do we have to, oh, we have to run and go get him. Like, it's our job to keep him in the building. So Emmett runs out, and he goes to talk to him. And he goes to the teen, and he says, hey, what's wrong? And the teen's crying his eyes out. He thought, well, maybe he's impacted by the message. He said, hey, what's wrong? And the teen says, I just miss my daughter. I wasn't ready for a 16-year-old to say that, right? My friend Emmett wasn't ready for a 16-year-old to say that. He wasn't listening to the message. He was so focused on his, his daughter. And you know what? It's a beautiful thing. And so the Lord used my friend Emmett here. He didn't try to divert him a different direction. Hey, you can't worry about that right now. Get in the building. We've got to listen to this message. That's not what Emmett did. Instead, Emmett sat down with him. He put his arm around him. He says, hey, you know that feeling you have right now, that love you have for your daughter, that you miss her so much? He says, yes, crying. And it says, that's how much your heavenly father loves you. That's how much your heavenly father misses you. He was able to build a bridge to the gospel. That God loves this 16-year-old teen so much 
He died for him, and he's waiting for him to repent and come back to him. That teen accepted Christ. And it was a beautiful story. I got to praise the Lord with Emmett. We got to celebrate. And I look back on that fondly because the Lord showed us how to build a bridge, reach them where they're at, understand what they're dealing with, and bring it to the gospel. And so when we look at Paul's story, uh, his message here, Paul's message to Athens, we, we see that he adjusted his message. It was different than the one he preached in Thessalonica. It was different than the one he preached to other people groups. He adjusted the, the, the message, but he didn't change the message, the content. The gospel was still the same. The way he shared it was different, but the gospel was still the same. Because the gospel has the power to change lives. The gospel wants to interact and intrude on all these different areas of life. The gospel affects the hopelessness. The gospel affects the hurt, the death, the sin, the heartache. Gospel is what we preach. And it looks different for different people. And so for us, church, for us, how does this apply? I, I want to start by saying, before I give this application, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's this one method or trick that I can give you to just all of a sudden be good at reaching people. That's not what I'm saying. This is a process. It's a process that we all go through. I'm growing and learning. And the Lord wants us to all be growing and learning in this. First off, in what we know. The Lord wants to grow us in how we know the Bible. He wants to grow us in our understanding of his word so that we're ready to make a defense. When, when people ask hard questions, that's the Lord trying to get you to understand the answers to that. He's trying to grow your trust for his word so that you could share that with others. It's a continual thing. We don't stop growing in our knowledge of the word until we're dead. And then guess what? We get to keep learning <laughs> because we're with Jesus. We learn in a much more personal, intimate way. And, and church, I will say also, you're in a place to take advantage of this. We gather here, and, and of course, like we get to preach here on a Sunday morning, and that is wonderful. I'm glad that we preach the word on a Sunday morning, but there's more opportunities for you to know the word. We have small groups. We have other ministries, Sunday school. You know, if you're a young adult, there's young adults ministry. If you're a teen, there's youth ministry. We have all these groups and such, but also we're meant to live life together. We're meant to discuss the word with one another. I'm a seminary student, and sometimes the way that I, I learn more during the week is my time spent with my young adult men friends who dive into the word with me. We have a small group that's just, it's not an official ministry or anything. We're just young guys diving in the word. We're, we're friends running after Christ, and we walk through the word together. We discuss it together, and the stuff I learn there sometimes is more than I'm learning from my classes. Church, we are here together to learn together. Take advantage of these opportunities to know God's word. Don't settle for just a, yeah, I know it. Strive to understand it deeper each day. And in doing so, it's going to call us to live differently. It's going to cause us to, to be more aware of the different cultures around us. Churches, we seek Jesus. Let's be engaging with the different people around us. Seeking understanding, 
of where they're at, patiently listening, being gentle, humble, loving, compassionate. Try to feel what, what others feel for the purpose of sharing the message of salvation. And one of the beautiful things that I see here in Acts 17 is in verse 26 and 27. In this message Paul shared, when he's talking about how God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, he says this, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God. God has placed people in specific areas of your life so that they can hear the message. God has placed you in the area you're in so that you can share this message. Whether that be your workplace, your neighborhood, your school, whether that be your apartment complex. I live in an apartment complex, and i got to be honest with you, I do not do a good job sharing with the people in my apartment complex. Yet the Lord has placed me there because there are people who need to know him. And so church, I want to call us to view the people that we come in contact with in the same way Paul went to the marketplace. He went to the marketplace to view people. View people the way that Christ views people. Looking for opportunities to defend the hope that is within you. Let's pray. Lord, I, Lord, I'm humbled because I'm here to preach and, and share your word, but the reality is, Lord, I'm still growing constantly. And Lord, you are teaching us new things each day. You have prepared people in our lives that don't know you, that are there for the purpose of hearing your gospel through us. And Lord, I just pray that you break our hearts for people. I pray that you open our eyes to see the way that you see. Lord, give us awareness of the hurt, the hopelessness, the pain that people are going through. Not to just see the sin and the, the blasphemy, but Lord, to see the hurt and the pain so that we can share with them the message of hope in your son Jesus. Grow us today, Lord, for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.